we have an interesting story to look at this morning. And it's going to be complicated. It's a long passage, so we're not going to read it all. I want to invite you to go home and to dig into this passage yourself because it is interesting. We're going to go through it, even though we don't read it all. Read it all. And don't let the complexities uh, get you off track because when we come to the end of it, there's just one simple, bold point that we want to learn from this story. But the story appears in two chapters of the book of Genesis. It begins in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. Uh, if you have your Bible handy, open it up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 29 and verse 31, and then the story continues on into most of, of the first part of chapter 30. If you look in an English Bible that has uh, subject headings, usually you'll find, like the ESV does, a subject heading over this passage, something like Jacob's children. And it is about Jacob's children. It's about uh, the story of how the 12 tribes of Israel came into existence. Now, just a little bit of biblical history. Uh, the Bible is the story of the Old Testament is the story of how God called a man, a man named Abraham. And from that man, God created a family, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From Jacob, from this family, there are born to Jacob 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes form the nation of Israel that when they come out of the exile in, or the, the slavery in Egypt, they come to the promised land, and those are the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually, after a couple of centuries from our story, will come one man again, Jesus Christ the Messiah, who is born a Jew, born out of the nation of Israel. And that's how you and I come into the story because he's not just a Jew, he's our Savior. He is both Son of God and Son of Man, unique in that respect, so that he was able to redeem us and save us from our sins. That's the whole story of the Bible, just in a nutshell right there. And a, an important piece of that, though, is how the 12 tribes came to be, and that's our story this morning. We want to read just a, a, a three verses out of the end. We're going to begin in chapter 29 and verse 31. We're going to conclude that story today over in chapter 30, verses 22 through 24. So that's the part we want to just read. It'll give you a little bit of the flavor of what's happening in this passage of Scripture. From Genesis 30 and verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, the reason I chose that, uh, those verses to give you a bit of the flavor of our story is that this story is all about of women bearing children. Now, that's something that's happened from the very beginning of time. It's something that uh, people have been breathing and breeding since the time God created us and put us on the planet. 
But in this story, there are a few odd twists to it. So let's get those out of the way so that they don't distract you. First of all, Jacob, uh, who's the patriarch in this story, Jacob has two wives. Don't stumble over that. Just remember that we are early. We're in the first book of the Bible. We are early in the story of redemption. And so uh, as you look back on these patriarchs, there are some concessions that God makes to human weakness in these stories. And one of them is that for a period of time, God permits and overlooks his, uh, the twisting of his original plan was one man with one woman. I mean, when God created the original parents, Adam and Eve, he didn't create a bunch of pairs and spares. Uh, he made one man and one woman for one man, and, and that was it. And then Jesus, when you get over in the New Testament, Jesus hearkens back to that in Matthew 19, when the Jews are asking him all about divorce and remarriage, Jesus said, wait a minute, haven't you read that from the beginning, God made them male and female and, and made one man for one woman, one woman for one man. However, in the Old Testament period where we're early on, there is a time where God deals with people, first of all, in the culture that they were a part of. And part of Jacob's culture was that men, it was polygamous. So Jacob has two wives. Now the story gets even weirder than that. Not only does Jacob have two wives, Rachel and Leah, but there's also the matter of surrogate motherhood here. Uh, when Rachel is barren and Leah uh, is not barren to begin with, but eventually she stops having children. When she becomes barren, these two women give their handmaids to Jacob and they have children through their handmaids. So Jacob ends up having 12 sons through four different women. Now, that is odd. That's not a part of our Christian experience in the Christian age, but it was a part of how God dealt with people early on in the, the history of redemption. So don't stumble over that. That's just part of the story. And this is a story about these two women, and the, the, the main, there are two main ideas, and the first main idea is that this was a messy family. Do you know any messy families? Uh, anybody a part of any messy families? Well, this was a messy family. Even though this is the family out of which the Jewish nation, the chosen people, would come, it's a messy family. The mess starts off when Jacob is sent from his, by his mother back to her mother's people to get a wife. And he goes back and he falls in love with a beautiful girl named Rachel. And Rachel is a distant cousin to Jacob, uh, but that's... A, Another thing, well, we used to do that in the South, marry our cousins, but, uh, uh, you know, they, they certainly did that in Old Testament times. So Jacob falls in love with Rachel, and the Bible says that Rachel was beautiful. The Hebrew word literally means she was shapely of form. She was a beautiful woman. So it's no surprise that Jacob falls in love with her. And, and her father, Laban, says to Jacob, well, if you want to marry my daughter, you'll have to work for me for seven years in order to marry my daughter. Well, that sounds like a lot. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many guys are going to wait around and wait, work seven years to marry a gal, but, uh, but the Bible says that Jacob was so much in love, it seemed to him just like it was a day. 
So we come to the time of the wedding, and they have the wedding, and Jacob uh, on the wedding night goes into the tent where he believes he's going to start his honeymoon with his bride, and he wakes up the next day, and it's not Rachel lying there in the marriage bed next to him. It's her ugly old maid sister, Leah. Now, Leah was the oldest, and I'm not, I'm not being mean to call her ugly. The Bible says she was ugly. Uh, literally, the Hebrew says that, that Leah had weak eyes. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the eyes are the prettiest part of, of a girl. And, uh, and in those days, that's about all you got to see, you know, with the clothes that they wore, with the eyes. Well, Leah didn't have it. She, she was weak-eyed. She, didn't, she wasn't pretty. That's the Old Testament way of saying she wasn't pretty. So uh, Jacob said, now how on earth did something that happen? Well, they drank a lot, and they didn't have electric lights in those days. So uh, Laban was able to do a switch. So Jacob goes to Laban and says, what have you done to me? I worked seven years for Rachel, whom I love, and you've given me uh, Leah, whom I don't love. And Laban said, well, we have a custom here. You can't marry off the younger sister before you marry off the older one. So I gave you the older one. He said, but I don't want the older one. I want the younger one. He said, I tell you what, I cut you a twofer, a twofer here, uh, a deal. Uh, work another seven years and you can have the younger one. So, they, they, so Jacob ends up with two wives. One of them he wants and the other one he doesn't. One of them is pretty and gets chosen. The other one got married off by a trick. So that's how, that's how this mess starts. <laughs> Welcome to the story. <laughs> so this is a messy family because, not just because Jacob is married to two women. Listen, it's enough for me for 43 years to keep one of those creatures happy. I would hate to have to keep two of them happy, but especially they are sisters and they're rival sisters. And you look how this story develops. Leah is the first one to have children. But in this story, each woman wants what the other one has. Leah begins to have Jacob's children, but she wants his love. Rachel has his love, but she wants his children. Each one wants what the other one has. And so there's this rivalry between them. So as we begin the story, the story begins in chapter 29 and verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Wow, that's actually there in the text. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so we begin to have these children. Now I'm going to need some help because this story can get complicated. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You folks that are over here in, in this lower section on this side, I'd like for you people to be Leah. So when we're talking about Leah, would you raise your hands? Those of you, all those of you, and you say, you are Leah. I'm going to ask you to keep track. You're going to start having some children. I need, it's going to get messy, so I need you to keep some numbers, keep track of the children you're having. And then you folks over here, uh, if you would please for me be Rachel. And so raise your hand if you're in this, Rachel. So you're Rachel. And uh, so you're going to keep up with, with children. And then, but there's some other players in this. Rachel has a handmaid named Bilhah. And I need you folks down in this section to be Bill. Would you raise your hand down here? Bill, you're Bilhah. And then Leah, raise your hand again, Leah. Leah has a handmaid named Zilpah, 
and that's who you, raise your hand, Zilpah. Okay. You folks across the back there, you're going to be Jacob. And I don't need you to raise your hand. Just from time to time, I'll need for you to shrug like this. Can you do that for me? Shrug. Because most of the time, that's what Jacob is doing in the story. Jacob is just shrugging and said, I have no idea what's going on. These women are bouncing me around, you know, just tell me where I go and what I do tonight. So that's what Jacob does. So these women are, are, uh, Jacob is going from uh, marriage bed to marriage bed and having these 12 kids. So Leah starts off. The Bible says that God, that Leah was desperate to have children, first of all, because all women in those days wanted to have children. They wanted to be mothers. I suppose that's true even today, that most women want to be wives and mothers. And so that's a very natural, human, universal desire. Leah wanted to be a wife, wanted to be a beloved wife as well as a mother. And she thinks if she can bear Jacob some sons that Jacob will learn to love her. And so she has the first son And what's interesting is in this story, and you go home and read this text, because the story, when these mothers, the mothers named the boys, and when they named the boys, they give them names that mean something that's going on in the story. So Leah has Jacob's first son, and Leah, raise your hand. There you go. Show me a one. You have son number one. His name is Reuben. And Reuben sounds like the Hebrew words ra'ah bin, which means see a son. Now, you might think, well, okay, that sounds like a good Hebrew name for a boy. Uh, Look, it's a boy, see a son. Oh, but it means more than that. It's a pitiful name because in the text we learn that Leah names Reuben see a son because She has this boy and believes that he came because the Lord saw that her husband hated her. This thing is a mess from the get-go, all right? Reuben is born, son number two. Show me a two there, Leah. All right, you're going to have son number two. Son number two, his name is Simeon. And Simeon's name sounds like the Hebrew word shema, which means to hear. And, and what is the Lord heard that Leah was hated. He saw that she was hated, heard that she was hated. And, uh, and so uh, Simeon is born. And then we have son number three. Show me a three, Leah. Boy, you are really doing well over here. You're fertile. You're as fertile as the Nile Valley. You keep going. You're doing well. Son number three, his name is Levi. And Levi sounds like the Hebrew word lava, which means attached. And this may be the most pitiful of all the names because in the text, Leah says, now my husband will be attached to me because I've born him three sons. Now, Leah is not the first woman in history and not the last who believed that the birth of a child would cement a fractured marriage, but she was one of them. So she has these three sons. And then Leah has number four. Show me number four, Leah. Uh, and finally, we get a decent name, Judah. His name simply means uh, yada, praise. And so Leah has the first. You're the ugly one. I'm sorry, but you know you weren't chosen. You're not very pretty. You were the old maid, 
but you had the first four sons. Show me the four. There you go. All right. What are you doing? Rachel, wake up. What are you doing over there? Well, you're not doing nothing. You've been seeing what's going on over here, haven't you? Yeah, you have. Show Rachel those four sons. Yeah, yeah, see that? You don't like that. Because, so what do you do? Well, Jacob, shrug for me, Jacob. Yeah. So the Bible says that what Rachel, that when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, that's the first part of chapter 30, she envied her sister. We got a lot of mess going on here. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of estrangement between a husband and a wife. Now we got some envy in the story. And so what does she do? She says to, she chews Jacob out. She says, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob says, look, I'm trying, but I'm not God. You know, Jacob was doing what husbands are supposed to do, but the children weren't coming. So uh, see, he's, he's with both of these women, but only one of them is having children. So what you're going to do, Rachel? You're pea green with envy at your sister. Show Rachel those four again. See that? No, you're just, you can't stand that. So, but you can't have children. So what do, are you going to do? Well, you do have a handmaid. Raise your hand there, Bill Ha. Okay. You're about to, you're up, almost up to bat. Hang on. So this was part of that uh, Near Eastern culture was that childless women could give one of their handmaids to their husbands who would then bear children on behalf of the wife. That was how they, one of the ways they did that. So that's what Rachel did. Rachel, you remember Abraham and Sarah, that's how, uh, you know, we came to have Ishmael. So this family is not unaccustomed to the custom. So uh, Bilhah is given to Jacob and Bilhah bears two sons on behalf of Rachel. So the first son comes along, and his name is Dan. And Dan's name means judged. Now, that may sound like a strange name for a boy, but, you know, if, if you were not getting something that you thought you deserved to get, and you went to court in a suit to get what you thought you deserved that someone else owed you, and if the court judged in your favor, then, then you, you got what you want. And that's, what, that's the reason he's called Dan, judged. And imagine if you're Dan and you uh, uh, grew up and said, Mommy, why is my name judged? And your mother says, I won you in a personal injury suit against your Aunt Leah. Uh, you know, so you're the prize. So, so you, Dan is born and then Bilhah bears a second son and his name is, it's an odd name, it's Naphtali. It sounds like the Hebrew Naphtalim, which means to wrestle or struggle. Imagine you're Naphtali and you grow up and, and ask your mother, uh, Rachel, uh, Mommy, why am I named wrestling? She said, oh, I've been wrestling with your Aunt Leah for the love of your father for years, you know. So, all right. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to ask you to hold up two fingers, because those kids don't count for you. They count for Rachel. Show me too, Rachel. Yeah, okay. Nah, 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 nah. So now Rachel's in the game. Okay. Well, Leah, what are, you're, you're not having any more kids, so what are you doing over there? Well, you're watching. Show me your four. How many have you got? Two? Yeah. All right. You're ahead, but she's gaining on you. So Leah says to herself, now, wait a minute. 
Rachel didn't have those children herself. Her handmaid had them. But if that's how the game is played, raise your hand, Zilpah. <laughs> I've got one of those myself. So Leah gives her handmaid Zilpah, raise your hand, Zilpah, to Jacob. And Zilpah bears some children on Leah's behalf. So the next son is born. And let's see, uh, Leah says uh, he's born. And his name is, there it comes, Gad, which means good fortune. So she's back in the game. And then she has a second son by Zilpah, and his name is Asher, which means happy or blessed. Those are, those are good names. Those are happy names. So now Leah, uh, show me six, Leah, so you don't get credit. Six. And you've just got how many? Two. Wow. All right. Now, this story takes place over a period of years. Uh, it takes a while to have these children and they're growing up. So Reuben, the oldest boy, Leah's boy, the first son, uh, Reuben's old enough that he can go out into the fields. And one day Reuben is out in the fields and there in, in chapter 30 and verse 14, Reuben is out in the field and Reuben finds some mandrakes. Now this is another odd detail in this story. In the ancient, mandrakes are a fruit that are found in the Near East. But ancient people believed that mandrake, that the mandrake fruit, it was sometimes referred to as love apples. It was believed that they increased a woman's fertility. That if she ate the mandrakes, she, it would make her fertile. She could bear children. So Reuben comes in from the field, and who does Reuben belong to? Raise your hand. Leah's boy. So Reuben finds the mandrakes, brings them to his mother. But Rachel, wait a minute, how many kids have you got? Six. And you're getting mandrakes on top of that? How many do you have? Oh, no, no, you need the mandrakes. So Rachel and Leah get into an argument, and Rachel says, give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah comes back and says, huh. Well, she was married to Jacob first. Wasn't but a day first, but it was still first. And she said, well, you stole my husband. You want to steal my mandrakes too? Ooh. I told you this was a messy family. You can see this rivalry playing out there. So they cut a deal. Rachel says to Leah, I tell you what, if you will give me some of your son's mandrakes, then you get our husband tonight. Shrug for me, Jacob. You know, Jacob, so that's what they do. So uh, Rachel gets the mandrakes, and Leah gets Jacob for that night. And lo and behold, Leah, you had stopped bearing children of your own, but you're back up to bat now. You're back in the game. We read that, that God listened to Leah, verse 17 of chapter 30. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And she named him Issachar. This may be the worst of all the names. Because Issachar comes from the Hebrew word sakar, which means wages. In other words, she had this child because she bought their husband with some mandrakes. I mean, that, that's like paying stud fees for a prize bull. They're, they are buying it. Shrug for me again, Jacob. You know, Jacob, he just said, hey, look. Just tell me where to go. Just tell me what to do. He's being bounced back and forth between all these women. 
So Issachar wages, and then uh, Leah conceives again, and she has a sixth son, and they call his name Zebulun, which means a, a gift or a present or an endowment. And then uh, Leah has a daughter, and she, see, she will have no more children. But now she's had six sons of her own, and two by her handmaid, she's got eight. And Rachel, what are you doing over there? You just have two sons, but, uh, but they're by your handmaid. And so the, that's when we come to verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. That's important. Look at these verbs that have God as their subject. God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and called his name Joseph. And Joseph's name means increase. And actually, Rachel says, I've named him increase because I don't want just this son. I want more sons. And she will have more sons. You will, Rachel. You'll have one more son, and his name will be Benjamin. He doesn't occur here in chapter 30. He doesn't happen until chapter 35 when the family is on their way back home, back to the land of, of, of promise, back to Bethlehem is where Rachel will bear her final son, and she will die in childbirth. But Joseph's name came true. She did have the increase of one more son. And thus, the 12 sons of Jacob are born. Now, um, can you see what's going on in this family? Can you feel what's going on in this family? Can you see all of the, the disappointment and all of the, the things, that, the, the yearning, the unfulfilled desires in this story, the rivalry, the love and the hate, the fruitfulness and the barrenness? It's, this is one huge drama. It's one big mess. And yet, stop and think for just a moment. This is the family that produces the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the family that produces the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. This is how they came to be. Now, here's the lesson that I walk away with from this story. And that is, if God can work with these people, he can work with anybody. If God can administer his mercy, mastermind his mercy in the middle of this mess, then maybe there's something that God can do in my mess and your mess. Here's the beautiful part of the story. Don't miss these details. You've got all of these complicated actions of what these people in the story are doing and how they're trying to heal their hurts and how they're trying to achieve their goals and how they're trying to win the affection and the things that they want. But in this story, there are four wonderful, beautiful Hebrew verbs that have God as their subject. Let's ask the question, what is God doing in this complicated story? And here they are. The first verb is that God sees. The Lord, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, 
when the Lord saw that Rachel was barren. And so the Lord sees these people right in the middle of their mess. He sees them. He sees all of their mess. And the second verb that has God as its subject is the verb heard. God heard their prayers. He heard Leah. He heard Rachel. And then it says, I love this beautiful verb that God remembered. You see, Rachel waited a long time for children. But you look there in chapter 30 in verse 22 and it says, Then God remembered Rachel. For years she had cried out to him. For years she had desired children. But simply because God's timetable took a long time, that didn't mean that God wasn't paying attention. He remembered Rachel. He had not forgotten her. He sent the children he sent when the time was right. God sees. God hears. God remembers. And then here's the most beautiful verb of all. God opened Leah's womb. God opened Rachel's womb. You see, in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their messy lives, God saw them and saw their mess, saw them right where they were, and God saw them just how they were. He he saw everything. God knows everything there is to know about you and your mess. He sees it all. God sees stuff going on in your life that you don't even see really well, but he sees it all and sees it perfectly. And when we begin to cry out to God, when we begin to come to him with our mess, when we cry out to him for deliverance, for salvation, for help and hope, God hears our cries. And even though it may take a long time for God to deal with your particular mess, he's not going to forget about you. He's the God who remembers. He sees, he hears, he remembers. And then, my dear friends, God is the one who opens opens whatever that door is that you need to have opened out of your mess. Do you know the most wonderful part of this story doesn't happen here in Genesis? For me, the most wonderful part of this story happens 1,900 years later. You have to turn to the second chapter of Luke to get that part of the story. For in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, in verse 31, the Bible says that 1,900 years after the birth of these boys, that the angel Gabriel comes to a little out-of-the-way Jewish village named Nazareth to a nervous young Jewish girl named Mary, and he says to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over, say it with me uh, together out loud, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. (laughs) Wow, wow. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, both fully divine and fully human, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and and rose from the grave to save us from our sins, 
who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Lord Jesus Christ will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Yes, the house of Jacob and the house of Leah and Rachel and Zilpah and Bilhah and those 12 boys with the messy names. He will reign over all of that forever. You see, God's not afraid of your mess. And he's not going to pretend that it's not there. He sees it. He sees it better than you see it, better than I see it. And God sees your mess, and when you turn to him for help out of that mess, he's going to hear your cry and remember you and open the way for you. God masterminds his mercy in the middle of your mess. Now, I'm done for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm tired. This story wears me out. But also, we've come to the point of the story. And now we're to the important part because I've told you the story the way the Scripture records it. But the rest of the story is now up to you. Because the rest of the story is what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the story? I don't know what kind of mess you have in your life, but I know you have one. It may be a little mess. It may be a big mess. All of us really have several messes. And your mess this morning today may be the, the, the big mess. The original mess is that you're not yet saved. And if you've never professed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never come to that moment where you have knelt at the foot of the cross and you said, Lord, I'm not going to save myself, but I need to be saved. Save me, dear Jesus. Save me. Help me. If you've never come to that first initial moment of becoming a Christian, of letting God's Spirit come in, and if you've never been born again, by God's Holy Spirit, if you never invited him into your life the first time, then take care of that today, please. Oh God, please don't leave this church today and take that mess home with you. Get out of that mess, and it can be done in a moment. It's simply a matter of your saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know Jesus is my Savior. I want him. Lord, I'm here. I surrender. Lord, save me. And then thank him for doing that. There are a few other things that you can do along that path, and there are some people here who will help you in your, your discovering your new life in Christ, but that's the biggest mess all of us have, and you need to get out of that today. Maybe you're already a believer, maybe a member of this church, but you've been far from God and there are parts of your life that aren't what they should be and you've got some sins that are unconfessed and some sins that are unrepented of and you've got some mess you've been hiding and you need to come and leave that today. Right here is where that happens. Right down front at this altar of prayer, this is where you meet God. You're not coming to meet me or meet one of the other pastors. You're coming to meet Him today because He's the one that masterminds His mercy in the middle of our mess. Maybe today you're suffering with something that has nothing to do with, with, with sinfulness. Maybe it's just a part of life that you're struggling with that's 
some hurt that you're carrying, maybe some sickness, some desperate need that you have. Maybe it's a physical need, whatever it is, but today you have some mess that you'd like to bring to God. Would you please? Just a moment, Mark and the team is going to lead us in a song, and and we're going to and, and the men are going to be down front, and and would you come today and kneel and bring your mess, bring it and leave it, and let God see and hear and remember and open the way for you. Would you stand? And as we begin to sing, would you come? He sees, he hears, he remembers. Let him open the way for you. You come while we sing.